0: Good to uh, see you all this morning, to be able to worship together with you as you're finding your seat, and Miss Laura is making her way to her chair. Um, I know on our keyboard you saw her, and just so angelically sitting here, and just a picture of peace, and you would be amazed at um, what she can do with small children and in, 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 in leading them to perform. We had our music and theater camp this week, and she was our director, and um, on Thursday night I got to uh, come and, and witness their performance, and it was really something really mer- miraculous. So thank you, Miss Laura and to her team for doing that, uh, for leading us and, and helping our kids. And just a reminder, this story that they led us in was just a reminder of God's purposes and his plan and the joy that we have in following him and submitting our dreams in a sense to To his ways. Um, We are working our way uh, through scripture, sort of a survey a little bit uh, this morning and through the last couple weeks and a couple more weeks ahead of us, um, considering what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What what does a follower of Jesus look like? How how should we um, sort of our that the, the truth that we believe in and what we proclaim be reflected in our lives as disciples? And um, I've said this at the beginning of every week, so some of you are kind of like, okay, Ryan, we get it. You've been telling us this all summer, um, but it's for the guests in the room. We are sort of pointing our way towards this fall, um, which I uh, regret to inform the kids in the room. You only have about three more weeks, and then the whole world comes crashing down around you as you go back to school. But um, we, uh, we are this fall going to embark and, and really spend um, the majority of our time this fall looking at not, not just on Sunday mornings, but really kind of collectively as a church family at really trying to build a culture of discipleship in this church and in our community. And so I'm going to be teaching through the book of Joshua on Sunday mornings, but all of the things that we do sort of in and around uh, our church, family, the calendar, and all those sorts of things, our elders have just said we've got to really um, help one another um, grow as disciples. And so we're going to do that. We're going to spend a lot of time. So this summer, what we're doing is just kind of looking at what does it look like? What What do disciples look like? So that when we start talking more about that and kind of engaging in what we call fight clubs, and you'll learn more about what those are if you stick around long enough. Um, they, this is what they are to produce. This is what a disciple of Jesus should, should look like. So we began a couple weeks ago in the fact, um, just pondering and considering that disciples believe. we Disciples who follow Jesus believe who Jesus says he was, that he is the Messiah, um, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Last week, we looked at John chapter 15 and understood that disciples abide. They find their life, rooted and connected completely in Christ, and apart from Christ, they can do nothing. We can do nothing. That's what a disciple does. We are connected with Christ. We have union with Christ, and it is that union that produces life. And without it, we are nothing. And this morning, I'm going to look at as we heard Miss Leanne read for us John or Matthew, excuse me, chapter eleven. Um, the disciples rest. Disciples rest. I don't know if you've felt this way in your own life, but I often feel like I'm just sort of running ragged. (laughs) There is so much to do. There's so many activities, so many things to engage in, Um, especially those of you that are younger families. I know that as my boys have gotten older and have just left me all alone, um, that I don't feel this quite as much, but if you're a younger family with smaller children, I expect you are going a million different places at the speed of light. You're constantly in motion. Um, it, uh, as I was thinking about this idea, my mom, uh, she used to say to me, almost every time I'd call her, I'd, I'd say, Mom, how are you doing? And the immediate response was, oh, honey, I'm just swamped. And I I mean, her whole life, she was just swamped. I don't really know what swamped is, but it, it just was something to do with she was always had something going on. And I just kind of wondered, did she ever was she just dried out, just kind of done? She didn't ever seem to ever slow down. That was my mom. But we, I think so often in life, we have this, this constant nagging that we've got to accomplish something. We've got to be doing. And so as we come to Matthew chapter 11 and Jesus' words in verse 25 and following, we hear this call to rest. Let me clarify, first of all, that Jesus isn't giving us uh, or advocating for us. This isn't a message of laziness. This isn't a call to be idle and to do nothing, but it is a call to spiritually rest. And I hope as we look at Jesus' words that the bigness of God, his bigness would be illuminated for us, that we'd see how big he is. And as a result of seeing how big he is, we would understand more fully the security that we have in Christ. So if you think about rest, when do you rest? Not just physically, but when, it, when, it, when is your soul just sort of at peace and calm? It's when you feel secure, safe, when you're satisfied. Rest occurs when you believe, when you're confident in something. So in this passage, Jesus is calling us to believe, and he's calling us to rest, and that rest is a result of understanding more fully who he is and what he has done for us. Now, some context, just prior to this text, in verses 20 and following of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus has called upon, sort of given this woe. These, these, we call them the woes. And he's saying, woe to you cities, and these cities that have rejected his ministry. They've rejected the message of the gospel that he came to bring. And through rejecting that message, they've, they've rejected the opportunity to repent and to come to him. They have said, we don't want anything from you, Jesus. We don't want to hear your message And so after hearing these, or after proclaiming these woes, this is a in 25, we are hearing Jesus in a sense of a public prayer. He's just announced, you know what, those cities, they rejected me, they didn't believe, they didn't want to hear my message, and woe to them, because there is suffering and pain coming for them. And I wish that it wasn't so, but that is the case. In 25, this is his prayer to God, the Father, in response to that reality. At that time, we don't know exactly when this is in the flow of time. This is a a wordplay, Jesus. You'll notice all through Matthew 11, that says at that time, and basically, we're just sort of flowing. We don't know if this is immediately following this or a couple days, but Matthew shows us how he puts these thoughts together, connecting to the unrepentant cities that Jesus has spoken of. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding And revealed them to the little children. We see Jesus say, woe to you cities, and I thank you, Father, that although those have been unrepentant, that you have revealed yourself to the little children. There are those that are rejecting me, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. And in this we get our first glimpse as Jesus praying to the Father, acknowledging the sovereignty of God, the bigness of God. He's saying, God the Father, I thank you that in your perfect wisdom and plan and in your sovereignty, you have have said all the wise and the knowledgeable, those that have all of the information, that you've you've allowed them to hidden these things for them, but to the little children, you have revealed them Jesus describes himself in this text and a few verses later as gentle and lowly, and we're gonna unpack that more, but he is coming to the Father in this prayer out of a heart of concern for all of the people that he is preaching to. And so we see two types of people. As we look at two types of people, we'd be wise to consider ourselves and sort of try to understand where our hearts are. First of all, we see the wise and the understanding some of you might have another translation that says the wise and the learned. In a sense, what Jesus is pointing to here in this text, he's talking to the people, these people that God has hidden himself from, it's because of the fact that they find all of their wisdom and all of their knowledge, that's where they put their hope. They believe because they understand all of the things of the world, that they have all of the knowledge of the world, that they have no need for God. Now, if I was to ask every single one of you in this room, you're here, and so I would suppose I have to just assume that if I went one by one, I said, do you need God? You would quickly acknowledge to yourself, of course I need God. You would respond to me and say, I need God. But how do we live our lives? What's reflected by the way we live? I think too often we become a people who think we can do it all. People who just do it, as Nike says. People who have no needs because we have everything and because of all of our knowledge, because of all the wisdom, because of all of our possessions, because of all the things that we have in the world, we don't really need God. We just do our life and move on. We talked about this last week. When was the last time that you did something that required the strength of Christ in order to press on into that? And so is your abiding in Christ that propelled you and gave you the ability to move forward? Here again, Jesus in the same idea is saying of these wise and the learned, they have no need. They don't believe they have a need for God. It is their belief that they have no need for God that has caused them to miss the message of repentance and to miss the gospel that is offered to them. Hopefully you're noticing a little bit of a theme as we work our way through what it looks like to be a disciple Disciples abide because we can do nothing without Jesus. Disciples depend upon Jesus like a child depends upon their parent because we know that Jesus will sustain us. It's as if Jesus might be trying to tell us we really do need him. As shocking as that might seem. But how do we live our lives? Think about it. I want you to consider just this week Immediately following to this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and following, do you depend upon God? Do you recognize how dependent upon God you are? Or is just you have so much figured out and so many blessings in your life that you think you live again sort of as if there is no dependence? Jesus counters that idea of, of those that live. In their wisdom, in all of their understanding, in all of their knowledge of the ways of the world, they reject the Messiah. They reject the hope of Christ. They reject the gospel message. And he says, but thank you, Father, that you have revealed yourself. You've revealed these things, the truth of who I am, he says. You've revealed them to little children. Of course, we can't hear that calling about children. Jesus' reference to children. you Perhaps your mind is going to the place where Jesus says let the children come to me. Now that isn't just speaking of children in the age sense. Jesus there and here is not talking about children in terms of just little children. Well of course yes he invites them to come and he uses the picture of a child when he says those words about coming to him. But what he's saying here is children come to me. They acknowledge their dependence. Some of you have had little children, you might remember a time. Mostly, some boys don't ever follow this. They just kind of do their own thing. I had three of them, so I know. But some of you had children at a point in time, and even now today, that when you're a little child and you go to the store and they get lost from you, what do they do? They cry out. Independence. They say, Mom. They don't call for Dad because they know Dad will kind of just probably leave them hanging. But... They cry out for mom when they're young enough and they know And what, what caused them. They aren't taught to call out to mom. They just know they're dependent upon mom. They're dependent upon dad. There's this innate dependence that they understand. And Jesus is saying that when we believe those that he's called to himself that have believed, they come and they believe. God has revealed himself to them and he has revealed himself to them and like children, they depend upon Christ. Just as children come to their parents. Jesus is thanking the Father that he's hidden things from those who would reject him because of all of their wisdom and all the things that they know and how perfect they have life figured out, and thanking the Father for those that have come to him and have heard his message like children, acknowledging their complete and total dependence upon God. Jesus continues this prayer. Again, this is an out loud prayer to his disciples who are hearing this, but also the crowds that are surrounding at this point. Yes, Father, in verse 26. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will Jesus, in his prayer, is acknowledging already, he's acknowledged it once, and here again, when he acknowledges your gracious will, he's acknowledging the sovereignty of God. And here is where we see the sovereignty of God connected with the sovereignty of Christ, or sort of not really handed off, but as part of that. In verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him we see this mystery of god where jesus thanks the father for his gracious will and will and revealing the truth of the gospel to the people who have come to him like little children and he says all things have been handed over to me when he says all things He means all things, but it's not just the physical things that we see in the world, but he's saying that God the Father has handed over complete and total authority over all of the world to Jesus, God the Son. We're beginning to see the Trinity here. We don't have the Holy Spirit in this text to see the third person of the Trinity, but we see God the Father and God the Son, and God the Son is thanking the Father for handing all authority over to himself And when he uses that word know and he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except, or excuse me, no one knows the father except the son and anyone whom the son chooses to reveal him. That word know, that idea of knowledge, this is the most intimate knowledge. This is complete unity. What Jesus is telling us here is that he has complete and perfect unity. That knowledge of the Father is not just awareness like we would think of knowledge, but is complete unity with the Father. There's a oneness between God the Father and God the Son. There's this idea of being fully and completely acquainted with one another. And Jesus says, No one knows the Father but the Son. No one knows the Son except those the Son chooses to reveal. Jesus, in all his power, in all his sovereignty, in his complete unity with the Father, knowing all there is to know, he has chosen to reveal himself and reveal the message of the gospel to us. Sometimes we get tripped up on this. We get confused a little bit. The mystery of God is so big that understanding God's sovereignty is challenging for us. And we think to ourselves, I don't like this idea. I don't know about God's sovereignty. Here's what should amaze us, and this is what Jesus is saying in this text. I am sovereign over all things. I know all things because God the Father has intended that I do that. I know this. I have every bit of information there is to know. And I chose to reveal the message of the gospel, the hope of everlasting life to you. That's amazing. You know, let me paint it for you this way. Some of you, as you engage in personal relationships, you get to know one another and you start to kind of get a little bit deeper. And there comes this point in time where you start to realize, oh no, they know a lot about me. Oh, I'm gonna back away. I I don't really wanna be that well-known. I don't like that. You get a little bit uncomfortable being fully known. By the way, you shouldn't do that. Just dive in, be known, be loved. God's given you these people around you, but sometimes as soon as we get too close in a relationship, we kind of find ourselves wanting to pull back a little bit because I don't want to be that well-known. I don't want to be that vulnerable. Jesus says, I know everything there is to know about you. There is nothing hidden from you that you can hide from me. I have it all. I know all of the information and still, I love you. Still, I choose to deliver this message of hope to you that you might hear and know how loved you are. This is the amazing thing that Jesus is saying. I have all of the power. I have all of the authority. I have all of the knowledge. And as Jesus models for us, he's still dependent upon the Father. And so we who... Think we have it wise and we're learned and we have all of the information, we should be more like Jesus who has all, much more than we do and yet is still dependent on the Father. We also should be dependent upon the Father. And in the same way, we should be amazed that with all of that power, with all of that knowledge, Jesus still decided to reveal himself to us in love. And it is this love and out of that power that Jesus issues this request, in some ways this command, this this calling in verse 28. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden. This is what Jesus says. I have all of the power in the world. There are those in the world who have rejected me. In these other cities in the world, they've said no. They've just said, I don't want to hear that. And according, that's according to God's plan. But to those who are like children who understand their need, come to me. Come to me like children, recognizing your need. See, some rejected Jesus. They demonstrate their election by rejecting Christ because they say to themselves, I have no need for God. But to those who are exhausted, burdened, heartbroken, weary, dealing with all of the challenges of this world, Jesus says, come to me. My favorite book of 2020, our ladies' book club was reading it. I think y'all met this last Thursday. Perhaps some of you in the room were a part of that. It's a book called Gentle and Lowly, where Dane Ortland he unpacks this verse for an entire book. And Dane recounts in the first chapter of the book, he recounts what his father taught him, his father having learned it from a message by Charles Spurgeon, that in all of the scriptures, in all of the four Gospels, that is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus gives us so much teaching. We learn so much about who Jesus is, so much about God. We, we hear all sorts of things, and we learn a lot about God through those four Gospels. But as Orland recounts this text, Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29 and 30, This is the only place in all of scripture where Jesus describes himself. So we can learn all there is. We went through the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven. We learned a lot about God. We learned a lot about following Jesus. We learned a lot that he wants to teach us. But here in this text, specifically in verse 29, this is where Jesus describes himself. And he says of himself, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I have all of the power. I have all sovereignty. There is nothing in the world that happens but outside of my declaring that it should or shouldn't happen. And I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is how Jesus describes himself. I know perhaps some of you in this room have grown up and you have heard all there is. You might have read all four Gospels 4,000 times, sat in so many sermons in many churches all over this country or around the world hearing all there is to know about Jesus. And I want you to know, Jesus wants you to know who he is as he is gentle and lowly in heart. You may have heard a million things about who Jesus is, but here we have it from his very own mouth. I am gentle and lowly. And this is what Jesus says of himself. This is how he describes himself. And it's out of that heart that he calls us. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. We recently moved and my son was carrying a box. And as he began to carry this box, i was like, all right, superhero, that sounds good. I don't have to carry that. It was a little bit heavier than I thought he might be able to manage, but he felt good about it. And so he starts going, he starts carrying it in. And as he's carrying the box in, he gets sort of around the corner just before the front door. And he's like, Dad, I'm about to drop it. And I was like, okay. So I ran over and I kind of helped him lower it to the ground. And he rested. He took a break, breather. As he rested, Think about this, so many of us go through this life or going through perhaps in this very moment carrying loads and in our pride we won't cry out to the Father, we won't cry out to Jesus and say help, it's too heavy. I need you to carry it. We stubbornly say, I've got it. We stubbornly say, I can do it. We stubbornly say, I know the way. I have it all figured out. I've got the answers to the equation. You don't, I don't need anyone outside of myself because the world has told you if you have any need that you can't solve on your own, that you must be weak. Well, you are weak. We are weak. We are small. God is big, and we need to remember how big God is. And it's when we do that that we can cry out, But because we don't, what happens is we're carrying these heavy loads, and we drop the load, and all of the fine china breaks into pieces. And then we open up the box, and we start trying to piece it back together ourselves, still not willing to cry out to the Father for help, trying to piece it all back together. And we look at our lives at some point, and our lives resemble a box of broken china in all sorts of disrepair. And Jesus says, come to me. All who are burdened, all who are heavy laden, all of you who labor, come to me, and I will give you rest. Jesus' disciples, if we follow Jesus, we rest in that calling. Jesus says, take my yoke, in verse 29, upon you, and learn from me, because I'm gentle and lowly in heart, when Jesus says, take my yoke, he's speaking to Jewish people primarily and the Jewish people of the day, they would say, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, would say, our yoke is the Torah. Essentially saying, our yoke is the law. And by following the law, what they meant by that when they said that, that our yoke was the law, was that we accomplish, we achieve our righteousness, we achieve holiness by anchoring ourselves and putting the burden of the law, the yoke of the law on our lives and letting that be our guide. But as we learned, if you were with us in the Sermon on the Mount series, Matthew chapter five through seven, there in six, Jesus takes the law and he says, I didn't come to throw out the law, but I came to fulfill it. And what he taught us in that moment was that he came so that we would put come to him, not the yoke of the law. And so he reiterates that idea here when he says, take my yoke upon you. It is easy, learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus has taught us and is teaching us that his yoke is easy. We do take on a yoke, by the way. The yoke was used to anchor the oxen to the plow so they might pull it, right? So that they could do the work that they were called to do. There is work. Life is not easy. Everything isn't sunshine and roses because we follow Jesus. But when we rest in Jesus, when we take his yoke upon us, We understand and we find that he sustains us. And do you want to know what makes his yoke easy? The yoke of the law was you must do so many things in order to protect and maintain and and connect yourself to God and to pursue a righteousness and a holiness. And the yoke of Christ is easy because he says, I have taken it all. I have taken care of it all. Everything that you have in God is through me and I am the perfect and final sacrifice. Jesus knew he was heading to the cross and his yoke is easy because it's not about our labors that call us to himself or allow us to be in fellowship with him. It's about what he has done. And so Jesus describing himself in this way as gentle and lowly, calling us to come to him Every one of us who labor and are heavy laden, he promises that he will give us rest. Jesus says, come to me because I am gentle. Some of you need to hear this. As Ortland says, Jesus doesn't call us in his gentleness. He doesn't call us to himself, and he doesn't call us to himself with a pointed finger of accusation. God isn't saying, you better come to me because you are condemned if you do not. God isn't coming to you and saying, you. do you know all of the problems, all of the sin, all of the brokenness in your life? Let me tell you all about it. That's not the way Jesus comes. He comes to us gentle, In the sovereign of the universe comes to us, not with a pointed finger, but with open arms. And he says, come to me, come to me. And he says, he is lowly. There's a humility. Unmatched humility is found in Jesus. And his arms are wide open. If you wouldn't think I was so weird, I'd get on my knees right now to paint the picture for you of Christ. This is Jesus. He is saying in this lowliness of heart, come to me. I don't come to you with pointed finger rebuking and accusing you. I come to you with arms wide open in a state of humility, not forgetting, by the way, I am the sovereign of the world. I have all authority. And I choose, even you, to come and be welcomed to take upon my yoke, which is easy. What an amazing and beautiful picture that is. Why can we rest? Why does he call us to rest? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? What does that rest look like? We rest in God's sovereignty, in the bigness of who God is. We rest that in that bigness, in the majesty of who Jesus is, that he came for you and for me in humility and in gentleness with arms wide open. And he says, come to me like children we rest because if we come to Jesus like children, he assures us that he doesn't come to place a yoke of slavery upon us, but to redeem us and set us free from slavery to sin and that we can have life in him and we rest in that promise. We rest in the truth in the reality that when we come to Jesus completely dependent upon him, come to him because he is God, that we can be assured that we are his. We can be assured of that. Sometimes I am accused of being just always positive. There's rarely anything that can go wrong. I had a conversation with a friend this week that had a coffee with him, and he had kind of checked in on me. said, hey, man, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm doing great. Doing, everything is good. He's like, well, but but for real, because like, things are usually, like you always say that. Is that real, or is that how it is? And, and, and I'll, let me just confess and tell you that there's plenty of hardship. There's plenty of birds. There's plenty of pain. As the work of the ministry that we're called into, there's a very often times where I'm stepping into that with many of you, and that grieves me. My heart breaks very often in those circumstances. And there's empathy, and all of those things come with that. But I know who I am and whose I am. And that knowledge, that security, gives me rest. My soul is at rest in Christ. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I am not the smartest guy in the room. I'm looking around. I was going to point to a few of you that have it all figured out, but I won't call you out because you're just smart. But you're, yeah, you're smarter than I am. But I can rest because I am dependent upon Jesus. I know how dependent upon Jesus I am. And I have experienced that his yoke is easy because it's not about what I can do, but what he has already done. We're going to receive from the Lord's table this morning. And as our worship team comes up, I just want to invite you this morning to just consider how dependent upon God are you now? Have you been in your life? Are you completely dependent upon Christ? Are you aware of that dependence? For the Christians in the room, those who have professed their faith in Christ at some point in the past, I would ask you just to consider, does your life reflect dependence upon the Savior you proclaim? And if not, Jesus says, come to me, I give you rest. My arm's wide open. He doesn't come to you with a pointed finger. But he calls you to just confess and repent that and say, Jesus, I need to live my life more dependent upon you. And so this morning, he's inviting you into that. These are his words, not mine. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, if you don't know the rest of Jesus, here's what I believe, as Brother Frank alluded to and he his welcome as he greeted you this morning. You came here because the world has done something that has caused you to realize there's a need and you're hoping maybe I can meet God. I can know something about God that would help me in my trial, in my suffering, in my frustration, in my anger, in my hurt, in whatever it might be. And God listen to this friends, in his sovereignty, led you to come to a place where you would hear from himself, come to me and I will give you rest. When we receive communion, 1 Corinthians instructs us in this in chapter 11. I'm going to read it in a few moments. But the scriptures tell us that we shouldn't come to the table. This coming to the table is an act of remembrance. We're going to take these elements and the elements are symbols of Jesus. The bread is a symbol of his body and the juice is a symbol of his blood which is shed, which is broken. As he went to the cross, as he laid down his life for us, that's what Jesus did. And what he gave to the church as an ordinance of the church was that you should do this, celebrate this, this communion. You should celebrate the Lord's table. And every time you do it, what you're doing is you're remembering what I have done for you, the sacrifice that I have made for you. And so if you've never believed, you can't really remember what Jesus has done. And so this morning, if you came here as one of those who said, I just want you. He says, come to me, you. You that are sitting on the third row in the fourth seat at the back. Y'all don't figure that out. <laughs> I'm not pointing at anybody. Come to me because I want you to know me. I want you to know my love. I want you to know the rest that I have come to offer you. And I offered that and I can offer that because I went to the cross and I proved how much I loved you. I proved the depth of my love because I laid down my life for you days later, I proved how powerful my love is. That my love is more powerful than any love this world has ever known. Because I took my life up again. I took my life up again. That's what Jesus says. And he conquered sin and death. And now he can say to Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.